Hey onesies, Josh Williams here with another bonus episode of the One Man Podcast for you. And this week, my guest is the one and only J.F. Gerard. Um, so what can I tell you about her? She is an award-winning speculative fiction writer. She's a podcaster, editor, and publisher. She's the president of Dark Helix Press, host of the Artsy Raven Podcast, serves as the co-president for the Canadian Authors Association Toronto's branch, and she's deputy editor for Rice Paper Magazine, the uh, company that uh, put together the Belief book that I recently reviewed on the podcast. So when I found out I was going to be interviewing her, naturally I was a little concerned because uh, this is a very accomplished person and I am an idiot stand-up comedian slash podcaster. So I wanted to make sure that I had a, a bunch of stuff ready and I I did some research. Um, I looked into all the different things that she's done and, and grabbed a, a few, few questions that I thought would get us into some cool conversations. And she was so easy to talk to. What a great conversation we had. We actually, during our correspondence back and forth through email, you know, I told her some stories. She told me some stories. It was just, it, I was like, I'm going to, I'm confident that I'm going to get along with this person just in terms of being able to talk to each other easy, uh, which was great. I, I, of course, I'm always concerned that, you know, am I going to be able to come up with the right questions? Am I, <laughs> I'm always worried I'm wasting someone's time, but I'm, I, I had a great chat. We kind of talked about all sorts of different things. She told me about her beginnings and, and all of her different creative, um, I guess I don't want to say desires, but just her creative, uh, goals and ambitions prior to becoming, uh, all of these things, not to mention the fact that she's incredibly accomplished before we even start talking about her literary work. Um, there, we go through all of these different conversations in terms of stuff that she did before, what she was like trying to publish her first book. There's a lot of really cool conversational stuff in there. And at the same time, we joked around and talked that she was telling me about Pokemon go and some of the apps that she plays on her phone. Um, we, we got talking about all sorts of different things. Uh, she told me some really cool cultural stuff and, um, it was just, honestly, it was a fun chat and I'm, I'm trying to even remember back to all the different things that we talked about. We bounced around. I made all sorts of notes. She told me something that I will be laughing about and quoting for a very long time. It just, it just the words themselves. And I won't ruin it for you. You'll know it when you hear it, but, um, uh, it was a great chat. I got to ask her questions. I've always wondered kind of what an editor does as much as I know what editing is. It's kind of like, uh, you know, what exactly is an editor's job? Are they, are they just proofreading? Are they, are they telling you what to do? Or is it, is it like a movie script where they take it and they make changes or a network decides, Hey, this is too racy too. So I, I had an opportunity to sort of ask some of the questions that I would know, you know, want to know about, uh, editing and publishing and things like that. Um, but all in all, it was a fun conversation. I think we get close to the two hour mark and I, I barely even blinked. In fact, we even spent a lot of time chatting before I even hit the record button. And I was like, this is, you're giving me too much good stuff here. We got to start recording. We're going to have so much stuff that's just lost that the, the onesies don't get to hear. So, um, I had a great chat. It went, um, you know, all my stresses about making sure that I had, you know, some, some good questions and then, you know, that it was going to be, uh, interesting and everything like that. Once we started chatting right out the window, I was like, this is, this is just gonna be fun. We're having a good chat. So, um, I really hope that you guys enjoy uh, my chat with uh, the very accomplished, the very fun, the very cool J.F. Gerard. Yeah! So one of the teachers, like after school, you know, had put together this you know, writing club. And I think I was the only person writing fantasy, speculative fiction stuff. And all the other girls were writing very literary stuff, very, you know, 
oh, I don't know, like, you know, they go on vacation, they're sitting on a chair staring at the lake, and they have all these internal thoughts that change their lives. And I was writing, I still remember, I was writing a story about these wrinkle fairies that would dig trenches into people's foreheads. So that's why you got wrinkles. And they oh, just all that's so there. cool. They were so horrified when I, because you have to do your reading, right? And they're just looking at me like, what is wrong with this person? Like, why are they here? That's, I like that story. I'm just, I, like, as soon as you're like wrinkle fairies, they dig trenches in your heads and that's right. <laughs> now, can I ask more about that? Why, what is there? Do you, know, they I, you know what? I had all these notebooks, but my mom tossed them out. So I can't remember the rest of the story, but I was thinking of going back to it once in a while. I think we'll that's see. amazing. I think that's amazing. I really my do. That's is, don't, like, <laughs> I think I have ADD or something. I start things, but it's hard for me to finish. Oh you know, yeah. All well, these ideas. I'm the same. I've got, I literally here, I don't know if you can see it. I'll turn the angle. Of course, the audience can't. You see all these things taped to my desk. Those are all thoughts and notes that I'm like, I'll get back to that. Never do. No. I'm like, someday when I, when I figure out how to be disciplined and write, then I'll, then I'll get to it. Then it'll be something. And I'll be like, I'll buy a nice calendar book and I'll follow it. Really? I'll write something. Yeah. And there'll be a schedule schedule or whatever. That's, I even have a, a writing book that I got here. It's like writing exercises. And I'm like, I've got this little stack of books that I'm like, this will be my every morning. I'll wake up and I'll do my, yep. my two minute mornings. And then I'll do my, my little, like a, a not a Sudoku. I don't have any of those there, but something <laughs> along those lines, a daily meditation. I think I've got over there uh-huh. and then I'll pull out my writer's workshop thing and I'll do that thing. I, I never do them because I wake up and I'm like coffee, food, <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then yeah. you know, a good 16 hours straight of ADD related activities <laughs> back to bed and the thoughts tomorrow I'll do it. And yeah. then that's, that's me every day. So, um, I've got, uh, I've, I've mentioned everything on the intro, uh, all of your accolades and everything. Um, but I always like to ask uh, my guests, uh, who were you before, um, before you were the president of, of dark helix, who, who were you? Oh, uh, my main job is in healthcare, so I was, I've always wanted to be a writer for a long time, but mm-hmm. I have Asian parents, and uh, I got to choose between doctor, accountant, lawyer, etc., and I didn't achieve any of those, much to their disappointment. Um, so what happened was, I remember writing that form for university, and I said, oh, I want to go into English Lit, and they're like, you're going to starve to death, and we're not going to help you pay for your education or support you. You're going to be disowned, blah, blah, blah. Really? I was like, okay. So I shelved. Well, at that time, Evelyn Lau's uh, Diaries of a Street Girl came out, and she was sort of the only contemporary Asian writer I've ever read. Like, a lot of the Asian stories I read were, like, immigration stories and stuff. Okay. But being a first-generation, you know, I was like, they're interesting, but, you know, I thought her story was really cool she had wanted to be a writer but her parents said no so apparently she ran away and became a prostitute on the streets because you know it was hard to find a living so my mom's like i see so you want to be a prostitute i said that's no 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 (laughs) i want to write just because you want to write doesn't mean you have to be a prostitute so i put away this dream about writing and publishing whatever for a long time i I, you know while growing up i always for some reason at one point i really liked reading sweet valley high okay i remember those books yeah you remember those oh absolutely i grew up i'm gonna be blonde and blue-eyed and pretty and yeah that didn't happen then i went to stephen king and clive barker and read a lot of horror instead about people getting ripped up which is you know 
I liked Stephen King. I was a big King. That was pretty much the only thing that I read when I was young and inconsistently. I, I remember with Stephen King, I would read like the first hundred pages and then someone would be like, oh, you know, there's a movie. And then I'd watch the movie and, and I'd, uh, like, well, I don't need to see it because I read the book. No. And I, and I, and I, and I learned it. as a matter of fact, um, I remember this is so like lame of me, but I, I remember I was in Devonshire, like we spoke uh, earlier and there was a, there was an Asian girl in my class and she was an avid Stephen King reader. I just remember sitting next to her during quiet reading time and I'd have my Clifford, the big red dog or whatever goofy child's <laughs> no. book out. And she'd be reading another two inch thick Stephen King novel. Yeah, and I was it. Yeah. Uh, oh, everything. Tommy. Not, I just remember looking at it going like, you know, looking down at my little bookmark of a book here kind of thing going, wow, like that's. That's crazy. So I started reading Stephen King because the the girl next to me was reading a, a Stephen King book seemingly every week. Do you know what I mean? Like she'd be done, yeah, and I was I like, "But I, I that's that's what got me started because I wasn't I wasn't much of a reader. I was reading the same little kids books, but I was like, I think I'll start reading that. My dad used to read Stephen King too, so I think there was this whole like oh, I think this guy's the the book guy, you know, <laughs> writer Josh. Yeah, I was the really writer. into comic books too, so I go to comic book stores by myself. I was sort of a loner in a way. Like reading all this weird stuff. I think it's kind of funny because I'm like, do my parents know what I'm reading half the time when they give me pocket money? But I think it's because in the way beginning, um, when they first sent me to school, because in our household, we only spoke Cantonese okay. or Toishan. So I only understood Chinese. So when I first went to school, they would call my name and I'd ignore the teacher. So the teacher actually told my mom she believed that I was deaf and dumb. And that I should be sent to a special school to learn sign language so that maybe I can communicate with other children. And my mom's like, what the hell's wrong with you people? It's just because, you know, she hasn't picked up English yet. So then they started bombarding me with like Star Trek and Jungle Book and whatever they could, you know, just to get my English up to speed. So right. after a few years, you know, I was fluent. But, you know, it was sort of surprising. And then when they saw that I liked reading, they're like, okay, read whatever you want. But I don't think they really realized I was reading a lot of horror, you know, some of the time. But whatever, anyhow. So, but at the same time, I really enjoyed a lot of the Asian stuff because my family would only watch Chinese things. Right. And sometimes there'll be horror movies, but I swear they pick like the worst. They're all like Dracula would be in some of them, but it's always like that guy that could barely speak English or Chinese. I'm like, why did they cast this actor? Because this is so sad. Right. And then obviously in the English movies with vampires, there's no Asian people. So then when I had time one day, I was like, you know, I've been waiting all my life for like an East meets West Asian vampire book because I really like vampires for some reason, but I never found it. So I decided to write one. So it took me maybe a year or two and I wrote, 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 wrote. So I wrote this East meets West um, Asian vampire book and I started querying publishers and all these people were telling me, you know what? There's no such thing as Asian vampires they are European based. And I'm like, what? So I sort of got really upset and I was like, okay, how else am I supposed to do this? Cause I, I don't want to spend another 10 years querying because I know how hard it is to get published. Okay. But at the same time, how long do you want to wait? So I'm like, oh, screw this. So then I uh, looked into Kickstarters. So okay. I, I was sort of, you know, Kickstarter has been around for a while. So I, I was investing in you know, people's projects for books. And I was like, maybe I should do my own. So I did a Kickstarter. And I remember my mom was so embarrassed. She's like, why are you going out begging for money? <sighs> and I'm, I'm not begging for money, mom. It's a marketing thing. Because you're almost like pre-selling the book, right? Because I need 100%. Exactly. So then, so that worked. And I raised enough money just to pay for editing. It didn't, like... Publishing a book was so expensive. I didn't realize self-publishing 
was so expensive. I'm not sure if I would have gone into it if I knew. But anyhow, I did the whole thing and I opened a company and then I was thinking, you know what? I'll start publishing other people that are having like a hard time. If they're a little bit different or quirky, it's really hard to get published because it's a business, right? <laughs> so nine out of 10 books will make money. So that's why publishers are really, really picky. Like it's nothing personal, but I think sometimes they want something that's similar to the last bestseller. So well, then that way for sure they can make money, right? Yeah. So. It's the same with movies. Is the story going to, going to be catchy, right? People are like, well, the movie's doing the same thing. I'm like, well, they made money. And then when someone's like, why, why do they always have to be pretty people in movies? It's like, because they want to make money. You know what I mean? People are going to go exactly. see Chris Hemsworth and Scarlett Johansson. They're not looking to go see, you know, <laughs> me, <laughs> you know oh, what I mean? Uh, the the, un, the unknown fats, uh, Jonah Hill, you know what I mean? Let's, let's yeah, go with the so, other I mean, I have to say, like, it's been very interesting so far. I mean, I didn't expect also to publish, like, the Asian Canadian Writers Workshop book because they were looking around for a publisher. They were having a hard time, too. Oh, they're, they've been around for a long time as well. But at the same time, the publishers were like, we're not sure if your books are going to make money. Right. So they come to me. The publisher doesn't really care about money because I've sort of – I just want to break even at this point. I don't really right. care about making money. But also to give a platform for voices – uh, and it's really hard to find publishers that are interested in focusing on niche things like the, you know, Asian uh, writers or um, weird science fiction. That's another thing I publish a lot. So, you know, it's it's just a platform that I hope to share with people. And and yeah, so it's been a fun, fun ride, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, I... I... Now, okay, so this, this is just trying to get myself back organized in terms of thought. So you, you, I'd like to get the title, if you don't mind, of, of your book that you wrote, the uh, the vampire book. The Undead Sorceress. The Undead Sorceress? Mm-hmm. Awesome, we got that one. I, I'm writing it down like I'm going <laughs> to call it later. This is my podcast. This is my podcast is listening to silence while Josh writes things down. Um, yeah, because I uh, I find that fascinating. And I've actually, my my connection to you was uh, was through the book Belief. And that one was, was Dark Helix as well, right? The publishing? Yes. Yeah. And, and, and I was also the editor. Yeah. yeah. And we, we um, I, I read through the book and I was kind of like, I didn't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. And, and that's because I'm, I'm, you know, Caucasian, North American. I don't have a whole lot of experience with the, the cultural differences. And just based on, you know, <laughs> knowing myself and how much I don't know, I was like, am I the guy who's going to read this and then give, give some sort of, you know, critique or, or whatnot. You know what I mean? Like I was, I was like, I feel too ignorant to read this and then speak informed or, or, or educated about it. But I, I really liked the book. Um, as, as I said in my, my, uh, my review of it, a lot of them felt, uh, not a lot. That's not fair. Some of them felt like first acts. You know what I mean? It was like, great. I know the characters. All right. Where's the story going? It's like, no story's over. I'm like, Oh, bummer. But I think even that is kind of a good thing because it means, it means I was getting interested. I wasn't like, uh, like I will tell you, Josh in school reading books was read a paragraph, flip through the pages to see how many pages are left in this chapter. You know what I mean? Like I just wanted to be over, but I was, I was thoroughly enjoying a lot of the stories. Some of them I didn't, I didn't quite understand, but a lot of them, I got uh, a look. I got a look at some things that I never really thought about. Like I've always known my Asian friends. Cause I went to, to Glebe high school in Ottawa, which is really close to Chinatown. I had a lot of Asian friends and a lot of them had either, you know, a Chinese name or, or a Korean you know name. And then of course a, a English name. And it, you know, it wasn't until I 
read the story that I was like, oh, that's, you know, I mean, I knew that was sort of just a thing. I just assumed it was for ease of communication, but then just hearing that people change their name and then they had a different name, have the last name switch. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's interesting. That, that cultural thing where you, you have many names, but you are still you, you know what I mean? Despite how it, how it changes over time. I found that interesting. I have never gotten so many emails in my life. Uh, sorry. You can't hear them, but ding. Ding. Like, the audience will hear them. Uh, yeah. I'm always begging for emails. Just these ones are all from uh, Indigo. Their ears are burning. We're talking books and they're like, I'm sorry, books, books here. Um, but I, I enjoyed that story. I really liked the one about the, the between, I believe it was word and mouth or, or mm-hmm. where just a lot of things going on sort of quiet. I, I liked it. I, I didn't think I was going to be able to relate or at least understand a lot of it. And I think that maybe some of them, I just straight up didn't. Um, but I, I enjoyed getting sort of a, a perspective, a take, even the one about the, uh, the lucky moose in Toronto, just that place for someone who's like, still, I communicate through my child. They're the one that speaks English. I have no connection on my husband or, or spouse is still overseas. You know, all I have is this market where I recognize the things inside, like these little oasis these little pieces of comfort. It was, it was a very interesting read. How did you guys... Like I said, you, you, you were the editor, right? For, yeah, for one, of the, one yep. of the editors. This is a question I want to ask. So we'll get back to the book in a second, but I always want to ask, what is the job of the, of the editor at a publishing place? Because I've always understood it just like, obviously you look over something and you make corrections. That's the definition of editing. But, uh, what, what is the job of an editor? Cause I'm sure it's more than just revising something or, or whatnot. So someone submits a story. What, what then happens for you guys? There's actually a couple of different types of editors. Okay. Um, so when you first submit a story, there's something, someone called the slush pile editor. Okay. So they're the ones that go through and they reject people. Okay. And then they pick out the best. And then they sort of bring it up to the next level of editing, which is sort of like a broad uh, context editor. So they're the ones that look at the story. They see any loopholes, like big major plot holes. Okay. And then you have uh, the more like a developmental editor a little bit more detailed. And then the final editor is the copy editor. The copy editor mainly looks at spelling mistakes, grammar, stuff like that. Okay. There's different levels of editing. Um, but overall, an editor's job is honestly to take the writer's piece and make it more readable to the readers. Because when you're writing, like you see the world, right? So when you're writing it, you assume other people see it too. Right. But that's not always the case. So the editor's job is almost like to make, the writer's words seem better and more cleaner uh, and clean up stuff, right? So if there's any big plot holes or whatever, you know, it's like you're, you might be leading the readers down the wrong path here or, like, do you really want to throw that thing out? And um, so their job is almost like to guide the writer, but not to change the voice. Like, I'm very careful when I edit because I don't want to rewrite their story, right. their story. I want to tell them, okay, you know what, why don't you think about this section a bit more, rewrite it. Here's some suggestions, you know, take it, leave it, whatever. So the writer always gets a say. I don't, when I edit anyways, I give the writers freedom. So I don't, <laughs> right, I mean, it depends course. on uh, which publishing, like other people are more strict. So um, it depends who you're dealing with. And it's a relationship between the writer and the editor. Like if you can find a good editor, it's like they're worth more than their weight in gold because they make you sound good. They're almost like a good partner, right? Like if you're having a rough day and you talk to your partner, they're like, you know, maybe they were just, you know, did you think that maybe they, you know, like just giving you (laughs) a little bit of a fresh perspective on it and you're like, oh, that's, uh, 
that's infinitely yeah. more valuable than the... Yeah, but a lot of it depends on the writers, too. Like, we've also had some writers who've never been published, and we said, we'll accept it if you close these loopholes. And they're like, we can't change it. It's perfect. Oh. And then we're like, sorry. <laughs> because, like, you know, that's... Like, how are we supposed to work together? You're just like, nope. Right? Like, I know Anne Rice doesn't have any editors, but until you're Anne Rice... She doesn't? Things, no. She's like, my writing's perfect. Wow. I could yeah. I could come up with some errors. I've seen. Well, I mean, before she did, but then I think I hit a point where she announced she wasn't going to work with editors anymore. I think she's one of the few writers that. Have, so she published. and they just publish. Does she self-publish? Uh, I think she still has a publisher. I don't know. Wow, she's a big enough name. I think she can do whatever she wants. I guess. I mean, I suppose Stephen King would be like, "No, here it is." That guy's early works looks like he worked without an editor. <laughs> <laughs> but Stephen King's like the hard work like every year I swear he comes up with a book and his stories seem to be more I mean I haven't read anything in the last probably 15 years of his I think the last one that I read you know cover to cover was the Green Mile and that was a, a yeah. magazine submission right it was a six parts yeah. in a magazine yeah. but they were long I'm like what magazine has like 75 pages for a story I mean, I don't know who I am to ask questions, never reading, but <laughs> it's just like, how is, how is this in a magazine? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> just watch, watch and cologne ads every five pages, but yeah, just keep going with the story. But it was, it was one of those ones where even the movie ended up being good, but the yeah. book was like, the book was, didn't involve magic and things like that. And, and visions It involved like hard evidence and stuff. And then in the movie, like, yeah, we'll just make it visions. I'm like, but anyways, I, I, uh, I haven't read anything of his in a while, but I remember the early days for him would just be like, you know, this great story. And then, you know, like a two page ending. And I'm like, I just read a hundred pages yeah. of character <laughs> development. So I could read 700 pages of plot to read two pages of, ah, this guy just turned into a demon and flew off in the night. I'm like, what? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like two sentences, just the whole book done. I was like, oh. He did a really good fantasy one uh, through the eyes of a dragon. Yeah, my uh, that yeah. one. Yeah, I I haven't read I haven't read that one. In fact, if you like big long kind of epic fantasy ones, I don't know if you've ever read the Gunslinger. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, the, the Gunslinger. The, the, yeah, they're making it into a is it Netflix or Amazon Prime. One oh, of them. God, yeah, I, I know. <laughs> the the uh, I saw the movie The Gunslinger or whatever. Oh, The Dark Tower. Sorry, that's the series. The Dark Tower. The Gunslinger is the first book. I've got the entire series up on the shelf there and I, and I will get through it. I'm, I'm more than halfway done, but the movie was awful, awful, had, had almost nothing to do with the storyline in the book. And I'm like, this is, yeah. and this is what well, people they have an hour and a half, right? So I guess it's like a different format. But what studio doesn't want to do like a seven part, like, like the, this whole formula of like, if it's a, if it's a book that has three, three books, yeah. they take the last book and they split it into two more movies just to, to bring in the money. Right. Like, uh, Hunger yeah. Games did that. Uh, uh, what was the other one there? You know, Harry Potter. The last book was two movies. Mm -hmm. So you would think if yeah. you got like a seven book series, Hey, we got a, we got a big money maker here. Let's just keep riding it out throughout. But I remember, I think it came out earlier, right? The gunslinger. So maybe it was a different time. Like before now they have all these epic TV serials, which yeah. was also new, right? Yeah. Oh, I know that Marvel for a while uh, did a comic book series where they stayed true to the the thing and it was a fun fun read and you know they had to shorten Ooh. it a little bit because it's graphic novel they can't mm -hmm. you know do a 600 page stephen king book in a in, you know a one little thing but it was just um yeah I, I if it's coming out on on netflix or whatever it is it'll be interesting to see but i think the dark tower movie is only about four years old 
It had Matthew McConaughey okay. and Idris Elba, so it's like it had a budget, and it was just okay. not uh, not great. I think it came out right before the the It movies. But we're doing too much Stephen King talk. He's not the subject here, uh, I, and that's my fault. I apologize. Okay. So, um, in terms of of did you do like all of those editing positions okay. with uh, with belief? Like, were you doing the slush stuff too? I know there was a lot of editors. I involved. was mostly the content editor. Okay. Yeah. So the other people were doing copy editing. Uh, and developmental editing. Um, and also, because the pieces in Belief were already published in Rice Paper previously, mm-hmm. over the last few years, we were looking at basically older submissions. So they had already been edited. Um, and they were different editors at the time, depending on what the submission call was. I mean, in a way, doing a book is our answer to not having a print magazine. Because it started off as a newsletter, then it became a print magazine and you could buy it at Indigo and stuff like that. Oh, okay. But then a lot of the grants dried up. So then it became an online magazine, but then the librarians are complaining. We can't archive online magazines. Like it's just too hard. So we're like, okay, so why don't we think at one point we're thinking about revising, reviving the print magazine, but we just don't have staff because it's all volunteer right. paper magazine. So, and I was all gung ho about it, but then, and we actually found someone and then they kind of went MIA, and I was like, okay, forget that. So then we decided to do, do the books. Like once every two, three years, when we find the money to pay the writers, then we'll come up with the books. So, and then it turns out this year, um, it just happened. One of my colleagues at Canadian Authors Association, Ed Seward, he came out with a book called Fair with Porcupine's Quill, and they hired Chris from the Idea Shop okay. to do the marketing. And then that's how I encountered Chris. And then I was like, hey, Chris, you know, would you be interested in marketing this book? And he's like, oh, I've never thought about, you know, marketing a Asian Canadian book before. And he said, oh, okay. So then we started working together and then, you know, we met you through Chris. So. Uh, his Chris, yeah, Chris is great. And that was the first, that, that was honestly, Chris has made suggestions over the years. Like, Hey, you should take a look at this. This was the first one that I was like, like I said, it wasn't a lack of interest. It was, I didn't know what value I could bring to it. And I was like, if anything, I'm just going to yeah. either say something uh, offensive <laughs> unknowingly <laughs> or, or just, you know, showcase how ignorant I am. But I, I actually, I, I liked it. I continued, you know, I, I kept uh, going, the, the poems completely over my head. I'm like, Poetry I'm either not for everybody. So it's fine. Like it's, and I, you know. I'm big on metaphors. I'm big on symbolism. Yeah. I love, I love, I've got such a, I romanticize everything, but with, when it comes to poetry, I have such anxiety over whether or not I'm going to comprehend it, that, that whatever, you know, yeah. art is, uh, art is in it that I, I just, I lose it. I'm like, okay, no, well. I'm the same. Like, I remember I had a submission call and it was about DNA and because I come from a science background. So in a way I'm sort of. I guess how do you say more literal? And then mm-hmm. someone sent in a really nice floral piece about DNA. And I'm like, but this doesn't make sense. Yeah. And then, you know, so we got into this tiff and then we're like, okay, this isn't going to work because I don't understand what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's, so it's, it's tough. I actually listened to an epidemiologist one time talk about how they, they can't enjoy a zombie movie because they're just like, I, I just know all the yeah. science behind it. And I know that that's never possible physically. You just, yeah. It's just not a thing, but he's like, but yeah. I, I get that it's cute or <laughs> whatever. Yeah. And sometimes when I'm watching stuff or when I'm reading stuff, I'm like, Oh, it could go this way or this way or that way. And, um, you know, you can't help it. Right. Cause you know, as a writer, you know, you start sort of think of all these different situations. Mm. 
But I have to say the only time that really hurt me was uh, my father died a few years ago. And unfortunately, I fell into a deep depression. And I spent a lot of time thinking about how it could have turned out differently. And that, I think, almost destroyed me. Like, I have a Chinese doctor and he was like, you know, you're so good at writing stories. But then in this kind of situation, it's a negative because, like, now you're going to go crazy thinking about, like, you know, what could I have done wrong? You know, what did I do right? You know, but anyhow. But it is a gift I think a lot of people have. And um, But in the belief, I really enjoyed the stories in it. I mean, one of the things is there's a lot of variety of Asian people in it as well. It's not yeah. just Chinese people mm-hmm. or Japanese. It's like Chinese, Japanese, Filipino, Indonesian. So it's one of the more diverse, I think, anthologies mm-hmm. uh, we've come up with. But you're right. Like, if someone's like, oh, you know, this book is written by, like, I don't know, another ethnic group, like in a way, like, why do you want to read it? You know, so I think that's part of the marketing challenges we're having is like, but since May was Asian Heritage Month, I figure, well, this is a good time to push it. And it was, it was good. That's the thing is I, I'm, my fear didn't come so much for a lack of interest because I'm, I'm a very curious person. Like I, I am curious. My, uh, my current fear Right. Especially in my industry, stand up comics. Uh, there, there seems to be a witch hunt out on us. Like if we talk about anything is, uh, my concern was, you know, if to talk about something that is considered, you know, well, this isn't your experience. Why are you talking about it? You know what I mean? Even if it's for a review purpose or discussion, there's, um, there's yeah there's just kind of this like you know it, it happens with with lots of things in stand up comedy why are you talking about this if it's not your experience i'm like well but it is it's come into my life it's not who i am but it's something i've observed i can talk about jets even though i don't own a private jet like that's not my experience but i don't get to have a a thoughts whatever so for myself to be completely honest and transparent i was like i was i was worried about speaking about it because like i said it's not i'm curious but it's not my experience but I was like, you know what? I'm kind of over being afraid to talk about stuff all the time too. So I'm like, if this, if this uh, interview is my last episode, I had a good run, <laughs> you know, 200 episodes, enjoy the archives guys. Um, but I was like, you and I got along great. We, we were corresponding via email back and forth. And I was like, oh, oh my God, she's the greatest. We're, we're having fun. We're cracking jokes. I'm telling you some of the stupid stories I've done. And I'm like, I have, I've, I had no fear of you at any point. It was just like even Chris, who we were talking about, Chris is like, she's great. I'm like, I'm sure she is these horrible listeners that seem to hide in the bushes until, <laughs> until the day you make it big. And then they're like, by the way, in 2021, this guy here had mentioned <laughs> that it was an Indian, Indian gentleman in the story. And he was actually Pakistani ignorant. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Who knows what people will get upset about in 10 years, well, but <laughs> just, it's very unfortunate that, you know, we're in this you know, woke age where you're supposed to be able to talk about stuff with freedom, but at the same time, there's this outrage going on. So I think it really gets people scared. And if people don't speak, then there's hard to make any change, really, because no one wants to say anything. And, um, and it's scary. Like when you get trolled on Twitter, I've been trolled a couple of times. Like, I don't even know you. Why are you insulting me? And all the cyberbullying and, um, and it's just, just like, what the hell people don't you have anything else better to do? <laughs> well, and it's like, funny because these people, they, they, they don't go out and, and try to, you know, it's, I don't know. It's the people who've never tried. They look at those who are attempting and they want to tear it down, which is unfortunate. And it's, it's, 
It's kind of like, you know, you could just take this time okay. and effort that you spend on trying to destroy other people. And if you put it into yourself, you'd, you'd be up here too. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, I mean, looking back, I mean, in a way I came from a very tough family. Mm-hmm. Um, like they had really high standards for us and a lot of things, it's almost weird. My husband always makes fun of me. He's just like, you failed by trying. He's like, you sh- basically, you failed by even thinking about it. So just don't do it. And it's just kind of a really sad um, outlook. So I don't know. I've been fighting this all my life. So in a way, fighting strangers is nothing. I think fighting your family is worse. So whatever it's, it is, what it is. And I've, I've heard of that. So that's obviously, it's like, it's, would you say it's not even so much of a stereotype as it is just an expectation? Like I know a lot of my friends with Asian families, like the right. expectations are high. I, I have some who are like, nah, my parents just, you know, let me do my thing. When you had mentioned earlier about how you'd written all the, the notes down, but your parents threw out your notes, I was going to ask, even at the time, just thinking like, was it like deliberately throughout the notes? Like, no, this is not happening. Or, or was it just, you know, they were cleaning up and they tossed them out. Um, I don't know, actually. I think they just, it's weird. They pick and choose what things to throw out. But sometimes the things that I think are valuable, they think it's not. Yeah. So I have no idea. I don't understand them. It's, <laughs> I don't know why they well, do things. And it's tough too, because there's a lot of, I, I know a lot of people and there's a lot of cultures where, I mean, I think maybe it's sometimes just a parent thing and some, some cultures, maybe it's more like that than others. Here's the part where you canceled. Uh, but, uh, I, I know I've got friends who are Italian whose parents will like will not let them chase an artistic dream. You know, they're like, get this first or do that. Just this, you got to have this stability, whatever. And I just know people who are like, who are destroying themselves internally because they're so unhappy with what they're doing mm-hmm. to try to please someone else. And that person still doesn't even seem pleased overall. Like it's almost like us as artists where I know that when I create something, I'm constantly scrutinizing it and going back, this can be better. If I have a set that goes well, I'm still walking off stage going, I messed up that line or I could have fixed that. Like it's, I call it the curse of the artist where you're just constantly trying to make it better, which is why when you mentioned those people, I wanted to circle back to this. When you mentioned those people who are like, uh, they're like, Hey, can you take a look at this? Maybe close. They're like, no, it's perfect. You almost go like that to me, that's like a big red flag because I'm like, the artist is always looking for the criticism. What can I do better? And if it, you know, again, being in a room with, with 200 people, everyone's laughing, but one person has their arms crossed. Yeah. I can't help, but, but zero in on that. Why isn't that exactly. person? Having... Why didn't they like it? Yeah. And our brain goes, he's the one who's right. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> he's right. It's not funny. These other people, they're fool- yeah. I fooled them. <laughs> This guy knows I'm not funny and he's right yeah. in that, that thing. So, but yeah, but like circling back to the parents, thing, like in mm. a way, I think they, they come up from a place of love thinking, you know, I've struggled so hard to do, you know, to survive. I don't want you to struggle and being an artist, you're going to struggle. So in a way they sort of want to save you from doing something, but at the same time, it's not really helping because like you say, then you're going to end up being, Oh, I could have done this. And why didn't I do it? And it's, yeah. you know, I don't think they quite understand um, what the consequences are when you're sort of banning someone from doing something. Yeah. It's never malicious. And that's the thing is we have yeah. a hard, like I said, as artists, we have a hard enough time ourselves believing in, in what we're doing to then to have, you know, like uh, other people encourage us, you know, it's not going to, it's going to be exactly. tough. You're like, Oh, I need you in my corner so bad right now. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I, I was fortunate enough that I had a mother that was telling me I should be a stand-up comic since I was like six years old. And it wasn't until I was like 28 or 29 that I started. But it's uh, 
it's it is tough for, for any art, artistic endeavor, and, and like I said, it does come from a place of of love, like like you'd mentioned. There's, yeah. I think part of it is because it's it sounds bad, but it's like in a way, it's a low barrier to entry, right? Like anyone can pick up a pen and write. Mm-hmm. Anyone can, you know start doing things but it's just what level of success are you aiming for like if you want to make a living then you know you have to hit a certain level of success before it's possible yeah uh, it just takes a lot of time um but while growing up i remember i was writing to you and i was like oh you're a comedian I, you know i've always wanted to be a comedian because when i was growing up i was always at my friend's house and they were british and german so we'd always watch absolutely fabulous it's still like my favorite i know that show, show. yeah yeah, and I was like always like, oh, I want to be a comedian, just like Jennifer Saunders. But <laughs> and then at that time, that time Margaret Cho was really hot too, so I saw her a few times as well. She and had a a sitcom, right? I'm trying to remember what it was called. Yeah, American it was, Girl. It was American Girl. I was thinking American Life. I don't think it was American Life, but yeah, yeah, American Girl. And she was very very funny. Yeah, and I was like, oh, that would be nice. But my parents sort of uh, they were always afraid that we were going to be kidnapped for some reason. So it's kind of funny because now that my mom's a grandparent. She takes my kid out to the park, and I was like, "What? Like she never <laughs> took us to the park. This is like the childhood that I never had." But my husband's like, "You know, it's a good thing. Don't be jealous or anything, right? Because now she has time. She's not struggling to survive to raise you guys. So you know. But before we would have a backyard, and they'd put the swings there. So I was like, you guys don't have to go anywhere. Here, here's the park, and you know, you just stay in our backyard. And Those ones that come out of the ground, like it lifts up as you swing, and you're like, is this thing going to fall over? <laughs> no, no. I had one of those. (laughs) I remember all the neighbors would invite us to have popsicles, but she's like, no, you have to study because we always have the extra lesson, extra math, extra French, extra art, extra, like everything. And um, it's funny because my sister was telling me, oh, you know, your kid's not in any of those lessons. I said, I'm too tired to take him anywhere so he can just play. I don't really, you know, I'm not sure if, like, I mean, you know, he's only six when, you know, at what, you know, maybe if he ha- has trouble in math later or whatever, fine. But right. I'm like, let him enjoy being a kid. I feel like I was being rushed to this lesson and that lesson and I didn't have much time for stuff. Right. So well, I mean, I know they were trying to get me to be, you know, better academically, but at the same time, I didn't have time to think. So. Right. And there's, and there's actually studies that have proven like there's only so much you can learn in a day. You know what I mean? Like, so yes, it's great to have lessons, but your brain needs like downtime. It needs that, that joy, that reset, that, that kind of, I've, I mean, I, I wasn't until the last decade that I'd heard the term decision fatigue and I've since mm-hmm. read things that have been like, oh yeah, there's like actually parts of the brain that have a finite amount of like decision processing ability that by the end of the day, like you can make decisions, but you're making them so, you know, poorly, you know, they're simple enough, but like, if you're trying to create a, a a creative endeavor at the end of the day when everything's done it's like your juices are are gone you exactly. know that's why i accidentally dropped another 50 dollars into my game <laughs> yeah because <laughs> yeah, i'm playing these mobile games right and it starts oh it's free to download but then if you want to power up i'm like oh wait a minute i have to put money into this thing, yeah right? yeah so, oh yeah the south park yeah. episode freemium isn't free they call it <laughs> oh gosh but it's quite interesting it's called uh, call me emperor. So it's kind of funny. So I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure it's a Chinese game. Okay. So you supposedly got involved with aliens okay. and somehow landed in ancient China. And now you have to run the country, but you can pick if you want to be an emperor and an empress. Okay. So I became an empress, okay. but then they didn't bother changing some of the pronouns and stuff like that. So I have a harem full of like men <laughs> that are my consorts, but, if you have enough tokens, you can make them female too if you want. Whatever 
tickles your fancy. You can right, do whatever right. you want. And I was telling my husband, I was like, man, I just ran out of money. I don't have enough homes for my husbands back at the palace. He's like, you have homeless husbands? I was like, yes, I have homeless husbands this game, but I can't do anything about it. I need more power. So it's kind of interesting. And the whole idea is that you're, you're an alien emperor? Yeah, well, you're you're human and an alien save. I'm not really sure what happens, honestly. But the whole time you're just fighting battles, and I'm playing on a European server, so. Okay, okay. I was gonna say it sounds like they could have used an editor with their backstory of the game. You know, maybe someone. Well, like, do you really no want to do this? The story anymore. <laughs> After a while, you're just like pounding each other, right? So, oh yeah, I yeah. I kept getting sucked in. I'm I I can't believe I'm admitting this. I'm playing the the Homescapes game. That's like the only one that I play. The ones where I, I wait, I, at first I was given it like a dollar here, a dollar there just to finish yeah. the level. And I'm like, no, I'm not doing this anymore. They're not getting any more <laughs> money out of me. I probably dropped like 40 or 50 bucks. I'm like, I could have got a really good PlayStation game and I'm playing a Candy Crush ripoff. You know what I mean? <laughs> Which even Candy Crush is a bejeweled ripoff. You know what I mean? Oh, so God. like, yeah. but I'm just, yeah. you know, and they, and they get you with the, the ads where it's like, you know, you're running through these scenarios and like, oh, do I pick this or do I pick that? And like that, that happens once every five days of actual yeah. like gameplay real days. I'm like, yeah. that's not even the game I wanted to play. I'm, I'm playing candy crush. I wanted to play the one where I'm in the woods and I'm trying to decide if I build a tent or a log cabin or whatever, very simple decisions. But uh, it, yeah, it's funny how they, they get you and you're like, why am I playing this? What is this? I know. Oh, we should make a game. Uh, yeah, I miss, <laughs> it would be funny to make a game where you're just like, everything is ridiculous. Like there's no way of knowing. I, uh, I used to play, like, I remember where I could pay two bucks and I could download Angry Birds and there was like 300 levels. I'm like, where's that? And I can play as long as I want. I don't get to play for 10 minutes. Then it's like, do you want to play more? Pay us. I'm like, I just, <laughs> can I give you five bucks? And you just yeah. you let me play yeah. the game as much as I want. You know? Well, a lot of the software, like, even Adobe, like, I mean, you can't really buy Adobe anymore. They want your monthly subscription and Microsoft's a 365 or whatever. They want the monthly subscription. So. Yeah, that's what I, I got. I'm paying monthly for my, my Photoshop mm -hmm. and, and everything. I have so many mm -hmm. monthly subscriptions. I gun to my head. I probably couldn't name half of them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm paying for that, too. I have no idea why. Um <laughs> That, yeah, I, I kind of miss, I liked that model with the mobile games at first, you know, pay a few bucks and it's, it's yours. They still have the odd things like that, but, but mm -hmm. the freemium games are, are making the, the money like crazy. So those are the only ones that are advertising your face. They're all the top of the lists for downloads and everything like that. But I like my mother was never a gamer. She screamed while playing Pac-Man just because it was too intense for her getting chased, ah, ah, like screaming. And now she's on her phone playing every kind of spider solitaire candy crush and soda crush and all the different kind of ones that they've got out there. She's playing all sorts of different stuff on her phone. And it's like, you know, those are, you can play Pac-Man now probably mom. She's like, no, I yeah, too, I remember as a child, like, yeah, my family was against video games, but I entered a coloring contest and I won a Nintendo entertainment system. Oh, so, so I, I remember it came in the mail and my brother was pretty small that he was like, pounding at it he was sitting on it and, you know he didn't know what it was it was just a big box right he's like <laughs> we opened it up oh nintendo my mom's like oh now we have to buy games <laughs> so that's a you know and they're the same now. price the now yeah they're one of those things at the same price my, my grandma took us to what consumers 
distributing or something. You, you know, the little catalogs. Yes, and yes. To, like, and she got me Legend of Zelda. And my mom was so pissed. She's like, your grandma dropped $70 on this stupid thing for you. And I was like, oh, In the 90s. <laughs> in the 90s, $70. And they're still $70 yeah. today. Like, they, the prices yeah. of video games haven't changed. There, I, I was watching a documentary on, on drugs uh, and it was talking about like cocaine and everything. And they used video games as an example, how like, you know, it's like, oh, it's $10 a gram or whatever the price was. Yeah. $10 a gram has been consistently because of this marketing thing where people just know what the price is supposed to be. And they're like, just like video games. I'm like, you're equating video games to cocaine prices. But but they were saying it's just one of those things where like when someone puts it out, they want to know what the price is. You can't have it fluctuating or whatever. It confuses the market. I'm like, all right. Well, like video games being compared to opium like you're sort of hooked on it yes and um i have to admit like i'm joining on this discord group with these european guys and they're like every bit texting about you know how do we level up how do we level up? i'm like dude just chill like, doesn't anyone, anyone work anymore <laughs> you know, it's right. it's funny yeah i uh yeah t- i mean i video games were definitely one of my escapes uh while i was young i i enjoy the ones the, that i'll play are, are the ones that have stories so, um, oh, okay. my, my, I guess, I mean, I've played sports games and stuff like that, but I kind of have this, uh, I guess policy, if you will, is just, I like to play games of things I couldn't do in real life. Uh, okay. You know what I mean? Now, as much as I'm a big guy, it's like, Josh, really are you going to go out and play sports? I could, if I wanted to, I could play it poorly, but the idea of kicking a soccer ball around virtually for hours, you know, FIFA and yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, you could stuff, be really doing it. I could go, I, I live across the street from the experimental farm. I could go kick a soccer ball around myself if kicking a soccer ball was what yeah. I wanted to do, right? Yeah. Same with like certain racing games. It's like, I have a vehicle. If I want to go for a drive, I'll go for a drive. That feels more fun being involved. Things like that. I don't play Call of Duties if I wanted to do that i'd join the army like these are all things i could do but something like you know shooting aliens or assassin's creed if i'm climbing atop the coliseum i'm going back in time to you know rome and it's in its you know uh glory you know to climb up the coliseum and jump off like i can't those are things i can't do you know the story is compelling there's there's something that drives me forward as opposed to it's not just go in and kill the terrorists my first thought is like, well, what makes them the terrorists? <laughs> you know what I mean? You think too much, you know? You know, General, yeah. you just told me to murder someone and you're saying, why? Because I said so. I don't think yeah. I've ever responded well to that. Teachers, <laughs> authority figures, now you? You want me to kill someone over it? Yeah. You know? I mean, I mean, yeah, I actually don't. I mean, now, I mean, I play mobile games, but mm. overall, like for video games, other than story and visuals, I really like music. Like when I write, mm. I actually listen to a lot of video game uh, soundtracks. Yeah. Because they're like drama and like it helps. I don't know, it helps me write. It depends on the writer, but for me, it helps me like, you know, think about going into another world and writing about it. Absolutely. And they've started to get like uh, theatrical composers to do mm. the, the music for, for video games. I mean, I mean, for some time now, but. Uh, it's funny because it's this, it's this media that like people made fun of like, oh, video games, it's trash. And it's like, now you look at them. It's like some of these make more money. Like, uh, I think Grand Theft Auto five, they spent $250 million on the marketing for it, you know? And you're going like, you could buy a sports team for that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it was the first video game that ever made more than a billion dollars. And so you're going like, you kind of got to like, okay take note <laughs> like this is a thing that that i guess it's real you can't just be like ah it's it's kid stuff they got pokemon i don't know i don't know anything about pokemon i know they got the pokemon, well, pokemon go, go. 
Yeah. It makes me walk. I think that's how I started playing it. Although now with COVID, I'm kind of locked inside. But I will go the extra couple of blocks to catch something. Or, oh, yeah? And I, I, it was funny. I was talking to someone, and I was like, oh, yeah, I got to go to the gym. And they're like, you know, Jeannie, I thought you were a gym nut, but turns out you're a Pokemon Go virtual <laughs> gym nut. And, yeah, they kind of lost respect for me after that. Hey, but you know what? It is nice that it gets you out moving. I don't know how it works. I assume that, like, it tells you that there's you just a... throw a ball. Oh, you don't need much. Throw a ball, catch a Pokemon. But, I mean, does it tell you where you're going, or do you just walk around and you're looking at your phone like, oh, there's one, or does it tell you that... I think it uses Google Maps. Like, it actually maps out your neighborhood. Okay. And then, it's in a way, it changes your perspective, because, like, you know, that school across the street is actually a gym now, so whenever you see it, you're like, there's the Pokemon gym. So it takes real locations, and it maps it out. And as you're walking around, it has Pokestops or whatever. That's where you get your Pokemon ball, so you spin it. And then okay. these Pokemon's just appear. So you got to walk to the location to get the balls that you need to catch the, the Pokemon. Yeah, I think it's a good game for people like me who are hoarders. Because in a way, that's what you're doing. You're just hoarding, <laughs> hoarding Pokemon. Do then, you... I, I've seen the, 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 the Game Boy ones where you you fight your Pokemon versus someone else's. Does that ever happen in Pokemon Go? Uh, yeah, yeah. At the gyms, you can fight. Um, like sometimes there's a raid where you can catch a legendary creature or whatever. So you can join other people, like random strangers. And okay. if you can fight it and catch it, but you can also go into battle with other people and whatnot. Can you just randomly like, like fight someone in yeah, the street? You you're both walking. You're like, Hey, are you playing? Let's fight. Oh, you don't have to do that. The game will select people nearby for you to battle with if you want. Okay. So uh, you can like, there's always someone you can fight. Do you have you to want. be like in their presence or can you be standing outside their building and they're inside? No, and you don't have to be in their presence. The game will find someone. The okay. game knows all. <laughs> <laughs> I remember being at a doctor's office pre-COVID. I think it was right. I think it was actually nowhere to lie, February 2020. So right before we got locked down, I was sitting in my doctor's office. I, I was getting ready to go to Scotland and I had a bit of a chest cold and I, I was over the worst of it, but I was still just coughing. And so I went to, yeah. to say like, look, I'm getting on a plane to Scotland in like five days. I need to not be coughing because I'm, I'm hearing about this coronavirus and I'm worried they won't let me on a plane. Like this was, this was my thought long before, uh, turns out they didn't care. I was in airports. I was in Heathrow coughing, everything like that. Nobody even looked at me. So what? no wonder this thing got all over the place when we, we knew it was coming. No one cared. I'm trying to like, please let me on my plane. Please let me on my plane. You know, it wasn't brutal or anything. Anyways, as I was sitting in the doctor's office, uh, a kid walks in maybe 15, 16. And he's like, did anyone here get a goobly goop? I'm sorry. I don't know Pokemon names. It's like, did anyone here? You know, just send out a thing for a goobly goop and we're all looking <laughs> like walks into the, walks into the waiting room from outside. Cause I just, I just got a notification that okay. somebody here has this thing and, I, and I'd be willing to trade and I'm looking How around and I'm know? like, and he's like, he's like, no, nobody here, nobody here at all. And I'm like, I, I don't, I don't think that they would be quiet. If they to trade. You know, I think he probably knew because he probably, maybe he caught it. And sometimes you don't always catch it. It's not a hundred percent. So if you're too weak, it could run away. Okay. But if someone nearby is already playing, maybe they could have caught it. And yeah, they could have traded it. Do they stay in place? Like if it says, Hey, there's a thing nearby. Like, do you walk to it? And as you're walking, does it, is it moving around um, or is it like stationary? You, know you got to walk there. I think every, it, it changes every 20, 30 minutes actually. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. So it depends on the timing. Um, it's, I've been playing it for a while now and now my niece and nephews, oh my God, they're like, let's trade. And I swear they take my best one, 
for 3,000 HP or whatever. And they give me a crappy one, like 1,000 HP. And I'm like, what is this? And then they just <laughs> run away. Oh, we ripped their Well, it makes them happy. (laughs) Change times anyway. That's awesome. Um, I wanted to ask you about that. I've got, I've got a few more questions and please let me know. Uh, I I didn't even ask you if we're working on a hard time frame. I have no idea what time it is. I was like, why are we talking about it? But that's, that's sometimes people say, Hey, that's the term. I didn't, I didn't know anything about Pokemon go. I just know a lot of my friends, even people, you know, same age as me. They're like, I started playing Pokemon go again. And I'm like, I know what it is maybe, but that's the thing. I, and here's the thing. I'm very like, I'm a very big collector of things. So if I start doing something, I'm like, I do want to collect. And I know that yeah. that whole thing has got to catch them all. I know that from the show, my brother used to watch it. So I don't even think I could start doing it. It sounds like a great motivation to get out and walk. And then I'd be like, it's like, it's a, it's at one o'clock in the morning. Has anyone seen Josh? It's like, he's still out wandering the woods. Looking well, in the beginning, all these people were getting car crashes, right? Because they're like trying to drive and catch Pokemon. They crash into trees and stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. That is... So that's why they always have a warning. If you're driving, you shouldn't be playing and stuff. Right. I mean, yeah, don't text and drive. That's all you need is the warning, right? People listen. Uh, <laughs> wear a mask. Huh? That's a big yeah. one. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I wanted to ask... Um, Cause I remember reading in the, uh, there's a few of them. I remember reading in the bio, uh, it said that you, you had a background in nuclear medicine. Yes. What is nuclear what medicine? Mean? Yeah. I was going to say, did you work nuclear for umbrella? <laughs> Basically, um, nuclear medicine is, I mean, scanning body parts. Um, so at one point I worked in a hospital, I worked in a couple of hospitals actually. So in nuclear medicine, you, you technically won't see these people unless you're pretty sick. So one of the scans that we do is like heart scan, right? So you would be running on a treadmill and then when you're at your peak exercise and you can't run anymore, we shoot radioactive isotopes into your veins uh, and then we scan. So we do a scan when you're resting, what we call resting when you're not exercising versus exercising. And then we build 3D heart images to see, you know, where the problem is. That's the heart. Uh, Another thing is like people that have had cancer, and they might have a reoccurrence. The first place is the bones. So then we do bone scans, scan your whole skeleton and see if there's any cancer. One of the more interesting ones is people with a esophageal, esophageal flap problem. So between the esophagus and the stomach, there's mm-hmm. a little flap, right? Yep. So some people, it pushes the food back up. So to see this, you can't really see it, right? So we feed people radioactive sandwiches. And then they lie there, <laughs> and then we see if the food comes back up or not. And a lot of people fall asleep, actually, they're lying there, like, because the scans are like an hour and a half. And the last gig I did was actually for PET, um, positron emission tomography, where it was mostly brains, so, like, uh, drugs for Parkinson and whatnot. So we have control groups and people with Parkinson's. They'll be doing a card game. We shoot isotopes into them, and then we sort of scan do their brains and sort of compare normal versus Parkinson brains. Okay. And um, one of the experiments we did was it was on mothers that just gave birth because we we're looking at postpartum depression. Okay. And it's amazing because like their kids are there, but then we hire a nanny to take care of them, and they'll be lying on the scanner. And we're doing arterial scans, so this means like every five ten minutes we're taking samples of their arteries and we scan their brain and see if you know it's different from a normal female and and so it it was very interesting but then what i found was my um you get a little badge to wear for radiation okay and if it goes over that means you shouldn't be working right because everything we inject is radioactive so i went over a few times and then i was like 
I mean, you know, that's the thing, right? Because they're like in the long term, there's always a limit. Supposedly it's safe and whatever. But after a while, I think I started getting paranoid. Me and a couple of other classmates, we all started getting a bit paranoid when we went over our badge limits, right? When you say over your badge limit, is like, is it doing a reading or is it just telling you? It's doing a reading, but it's only read every quarter. So by the time they read it, it's already too late. Like it's not a real time reading. Okay. So then. So it's basically um, collecting a sample of the radiation yeah, and then it's like the radiation that's building up as you do these scans on people. Right. And then I was like, okay, let's try something else. So then I left the profession. Okay. And okay. That was going to yeah. be my next and question. Then, yeah. Some other people went into other diagnostic imaging. Like they went to MRI, which is magnetic waves. It's not radiation or they went to ultrasound. Right. It was, right. Uh, the same it's like a totally different technology that wasn't radiation based and it's kind of a very niche profession there's only two schools in canada actually that offer the program and for a while actually it shut down in toronto like it's toronto and alberta i believe mm-hmm. uh, because there weren't enough jobs because a lot of people that you know are employed they tend to stay and um there weren't enough jobs for the new graduates so they shut it down for a few years and i think it's back on again but it's, the thing is the job profession is depend dependent on the isotope supply and i believe some of it is from chalk river some of it is from africa so if the supplies are low then you know you might not be working two very very different distances i've actually done lots of shows in chalk river at near the, <laughs> okay. the nuclear plant it's not far from here yeah. so yeah, it's like i've never been there but i've always been interested but, oh yeah. yeah it's small it's small and yeah. the people are nice they're great audiences yeah. but in terms yeah. of like I'm always like, so how far is it? Go how fast? Like I always ask them, how fast do I have to drive to get out of here if there's a meltdown or something? Oh, or, oh my or, god, that's <laughs> fascinating. I can tell you right now, radioactive sandwiches is staying in my, my vocabulary <laughs> for something to feed people radioactive well, sandwiches. You, I believe egg salad is better than cheese because, <laughs> like, we have to inject the radiation into the sandwich. So usually, egg salads, you know, it's sort of scattered and mushy, so it's easy to get the radiation in. I remember one time someone asked for cheddar cheese and I'm like shooting in the thing with a needle and I was like, I don't know if it's going to stay in the cheese or whatever. But also these people have problems eating, so they're not going to eat the whole thing anyways. So, oh my you know, God. Whatever. Just get in, get in as much as we can. I could probably spend an hour just asking you about all this kind of stuff. But you know, when I was growing up, I wanted to be a coroner actually. Like when my parents were like, oh. we want you to be a doctor. I was like, yeah. And uh, I, w- I was at women's college hospital doing volunteer work in the pathology department. Mm-hmm. But, and I think the only exciting thing, it was like for the summer as a high school student, the only, like the biggest thing that I got to do was a autopsy on a baby. So I got to help out with that because we were waiting all summer for someone to die so I could see an autopsy. Right? But anyhow. <laughs> I love this. Take your time with this. This is great. I'm like, ooh, I shifted in my chair when you're like, I want to be a coroner. I'm like, all right. Let's get into this. Let's start digging. Uh, <laughs> so we saw this baby. It was like a doll. It was so perfect. Nine months came out and it didn't cry and it just died. So they were trying to figure out what happened. Mm. And, um, well, I don't know. My grades weren't good enough. I think that's a story with many people <laughs> about trying to get into med school. Really? Um, and also I was too distracted. I think if I focused a bit more, I could have done it. But at the same time, um, I don't know. I guess just, just distracted with things. 
And then I was thinking, okay, the next best thing is why not work at a funeral home? And I was telling my parents, oh, I found this great mortician, mortician program at Humber. And they were like, no, you cannot do that. And I remember my grandma was like, you're going to have to jump over a bowl of fire every night because you're going to bring home the ghost. Oh, that's hilarious. That I was like, why? Why? It's medicine, right? You wanted me to be in medicine or, or... No, they didn't like that. So, um, but that's okay. So then that's how I ended up in equipment. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like one of the other options, right? I was like, well, what else can I do that's kind of interesting? And, you know, and because, you know, I couldn't do art. So I was like, oh, well, I, I love science too. So it was fine. But it was like, what other, what other thing can I do with my life? I don't know what to do. So that's so cool though. That like, like, okay. So if you don't mind asking why, why a corner? Was it because of the, the, the bodies? Like you wanted to work on the bodies themselves because the corner, the corner's not so much investigate. Like, I mean, you always corner yeah. during cop shows, whatever, but they're not so much investigation as to kind of like, well, they are cause of death, right? Yeah, I think, it's, yeah, I think they do. Um, I think part of it was because I didn't want to make a mistake on a live person. <laughs> so like, you were interested. So the, the fascination yeah. was, was, was with opening up the bodies and looking yeah, at them. Like, I think I'm, I don't know why I've always been sort of a morbid child, I guess, but it was no, sort it's of like, you know, like I really like, you know, the whole death thing fascinated me. I mean, it still fascinates me now. I mean, it's just something that will happen and you can't really stop it. But at the same yeah. time, I, I don't know. I just thought it would be very interesting to help basically solve, well, if it was a mystery, why this person died or like, you know, it's sort of like the body tells a story as well, like how this person lived. Um like, I don't know if you, did, did you ever go to see the Body Worlds exhibit? Oh God, no. I know, I know what you're talking about. No, like yes. death, death terrifies me. And I'm like, I'm one of those people like, I could never be a court. So the fact that you're interested in it, I'm like, I, I'm fascinated because I would steer clear. Not just the terror of like bringing home ghosts or whatever. Like I've watched, I love horror movies. So yeah. like, you know, the, the amount of ones where, you know, drop something off the table, stand back up. And now the, the corpse is looking at you where it wasn't before or whatever. I, I find that stuff fascinating, but, but, I al but no. also know I'm a very sensitive person. So, I mean, if I was a doctor, like, I think I'd have a mental breakdown if I know I couldn't help someone live at the same time. You know what I mean? Like I would take on too much and I thought being a coroner, you know, like I'm very fascinated with death and at the same time, if I make a mistake, you know, like they're already dead, right? Like yeah. They cut. <laughs> Accidentally. Whoops. Sorry. Did you feel that? Uh, yeah. like, no, I, uh, I, I totally agree. And it's, it's, it's good to know. Yeah. I, I, I'm fascinated by that stuff, but I, I, I try not to look too deeply. I, but it seems like that's kind of like when you're talking about writing, you know, stuff about, uh, vampires and stuff like that, that mm. seems to have a connection with, you know, dead, undead, yes. returning from beyond the grave, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So for my book, I actually use a lot of Tawa series I grew up with. I, I have this like sort of weird uncle okay. that would feed me stories about Taoism and Qi energy and stuff. So all that stuff sort of made its way into the book because yeah. Like when people say there were no Asian vampires, actually back in the day, there were all these rumors because China is such a big place, right? So if you died in the East and your family's in the West, they would usually hire a Taoist priest to transport your body back home at night, right? And supposedly the rumors were that the Taoist priest had this magical chi energy. Okay. So they would make the corpses hop home instead of just normally on a wheelbarrow. Horrifying. So that's where the whole vampire... <laughs> 
thing comes from. And then, okay. of course, if they get loose, they end up like going after people and you know trying to suck life energy out of other people. So that's where the whole Asian mythology for that comes from. So I was always sort of fascinated by that as well. Um, wow, I, I'm just picturing these corpses hopping, and you're like, and then they get they get loose like sheep. You gotta herd them back in. Hey, back on the road, you. <laughs> you know, like, and of course, like in the '80s, I think that was probably the golden age for these type of hopping. Uh, it's called uh, Gunsi, uh, I think it's called Jiangxi. I guess how you spell it: J I N G S H I. And I like back then there were a lot of movies about this. How if you had like a certain type of rice and you threw it at them and they'll get scared. <laughs> and of course you always needed virgin male blood for some reason. To virgin male blood? Yes. <laughs> hey, it's a new one. It's a new one. It's yeah. always like the white clad yeah. dressed female virgins. So the virgin males, I feel like yeah. there's a lot of those too. Oh, <laughs> oh look. I, I, it's like, look, I, a, a I manga store. Let's go get him. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But I also don't think my parents realized what I was watching because back then it was the VHS tapes, right? So you get like five hours of kids shows and then suddenly there's this horror movie at the end. And I remember, I think that was probably when I was ruined. And I remember, I think it was something like Apocalypse Now, maybe. Or like someone was being, uh, it was like a soldier and mm-hmm. he was upside down and he was being tortured, I think. And I'm like, Mommy! mommy and no one came and i was like oh god you know what should i do you just press stop was i in a playpen i can't remember i was trapped somewhere i couldn't move i was really young oh wow yeah but they deny it they didn't they're like it never happens my parents are like no we don't remember that at all it was like nice children's things yeah i had i had uh, my mother i interviewed my mom one time and i kept telling her this thing and she's like i don't think that ever happened and i told her you remember you said da 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 she goes (laughs) yes i remember that like yeah there you go it's it was, uh, yeah, it was crazy. I, I, uh, I remember reading too in the write up that, uh, that it's a, a dark helix publishes things that are too edgy for a lot of other companies. So I wanted to ask just, just maybe point the listeners to one too. Do you, what would you say is maybe the edgiest book that, that you guys have published? Oh gosh. It's probably our Trump book. I yeah. call it Trump utopia or dystopia because at the time he was just elected. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, I was looking for something to do at that time. My, uh, dad died and I was on, and I was so angry. I'm like, why is this man alive? And my father's dead. And Mm. I just needed to do something with my anger. So I was like, you know what? Let's, let's do a book. And then we asked for submissions. And at the same time, I actually had futuristic Canada submission open too. Okay. And I swear, no, one wanted to write about Canada, but everyone wants to write about Trump. So all these submissions came in and some of them are quite weird stories. Okay. But uh, some of them are also really, really good. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, some of those stories aren't going to go anywhere. I know there were a couple of Trump anthologies. Like, I'm not the only one. Right, right. But this one, I wanted sort of a balance. Um, like, he could be a character in it. Like, basically, he's the muse for these stories. And for one, I remember, it's really funny because one author actually approached me. He's like, I really hate Trump. So I really want to write a story about him. And I was sort of like, okay, let's see what you got. But actually, the story he sent in was quite lovely. It was about how Trump was walking through a McDonald's drive-thru, and he got assassinated. <laughs> and then uh, the CEO of Twitter decided to down to sort of save his brain and download it onto a robot. So it's like a robot Trump. Okay. And he's programmed to do good. And he was flying all over the world doing good. But at the same time, he was struggling because, you know, like he had other 
things he wanted to do, but he couldn't. So it was sort of a really sad story that, you know, this robot Trump was like the superhero, but at the same time, he was like a struggling Superman. So that was actually one of my favorite stories. I, um, I'm looking forward to reading it. You you were very kind. You sent me a, a copy of it to, to read. So I'm <laughs> looking forward to reading it. So that's, so it's just a bunch of kind of like Trump, uh, I don't want to say fan fiction, but, but, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, but it's, but it's, no but they're, but they would you say they're predominantly fiction stories? Yeah, they're, oh, I hope they are. Like, one is about a guy trapped in a room with Jeopardy, only, like, watching Jeopardy all day. I mean, God, like, the same episode. Like, <laughs> yes, I hope that's good. And well, then that's... there was another one where um, you can get an app to prove that, basically a patriotic app. And um, the more you torture yourself, the more of a patriot you are, because, like, you upload your picture of yourself torturing yourself, mm-hmm. and then you get likes the more likes you get and you know that means you're more patriotic mixture kind that was sort of a weird and yeah. fascinating one at the same time so well I, a lot it, of different ideas it almost makes sense too because these people go off to war to like serve their countries get their legs blown off they come home and they're like yeah sorry you're no good to us anymore yeah and yeah. then there were two that were actually just pure fantasy it was like um like a far distant land you know trump rule and um or he was a wizard you know he's the wizard like and he comes and you know I heard that Fifty Shades of Grey was like Twilight fan fiction or whatever. Yes. That's how like that started. It would have been yeah. great if there was like a, a Trump, Mike Pence, and Coulter like love triangle <laughs> thing that was going on. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, that would have yeah. been that would have been fun. She's in love with an orange orangutan and uh, and then <laughs> a skeleton Pence or whatever. Oh like, well, if you ever do a sequel, maybe I'll maybe I'll write a, a story. Well, actually, right now, um, one of the authors, she dislikes Trump so much. So she had submitted a short story, um, Marlene Aspar. So she's actually a professor in New York. Okay. She actually wrote a whole collection of Trump stories, and she got it published at a feminist press. And now she has another collection of Trump stories, and she's asking me to help her publish it. So we're working on that right now. I was like... You, do you really like Trump or something? She's like, I really loathe him. I was like, well, you're doing all these books about him. So, um, but she's like a science fiction writer. So, okay. and it's, the book she gave me, it's all mostly flash fiction stories. So aliens come, they encounter Trump and it's very short. They're like, I say they're probably a thousand words each story. Can you imagine, can you imagine on top of everything else, had aliens shown up? <laughs> like, we want to speak to your leader. I don't want to talk to them. I don't care. I'm the best. Yeah. I'm the greatest. Oh, Screw you and your spaceship. My dick's bigger. And then like all this stuff. Like that. Like, that would have been the last person that should have, you know, wrangled a, an alien negotiation. Give us your best. Here I am. I'm the best. <laughs> that would have been ridiculous. Um, yeah. I'm yeah. I'm, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to reading that now. For some reason, I thought it was just kind of like a bunch of people's takes on what's going on. Again, oh, like a I, right. I mean, if I'd taken five seconds to read the synopsis, I may have learned something. Well, you but... read some of, yeah, I think some of the reviews that my other editor gathered, like there were the little blurbs in the front. I think one of them said something like, this is like the second book you should read after the Bible. I was like, okay. wow, that's, <laughs> that's quite the, uh, the review. The eh? Yeah, oh, seriously. Wow. Um, well, one of the things I thought was really cool, and I saw this when I was looking it up, was you've got a book for for indie like like for indie writers who want to get published, right? Yeah. What's that one like? Like, what do you think? Because that's that's 
something that again, you're you're the first uh, editor publisher I've ever I've ever spoken yeah. to and interviewed on the on the podcast. Um, and it's it is a fascinating thing because like if someone's like, hey, I want to become a stand up comic, how do I do that? Like I watch TV, I see people on on you know Conan or whatever. How do I go from I live in blah 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 nowhere to I'm on I'm on TV? It's like well, it's quite the grind, but there's starting ways to to do it. So if you're uh, someone who's like, I've got a story and I want to write a story. What do I do? This book is the resource for that? Yeah. Like at the time I had uh, finished my book and then I discovered there were a lot of, I don't know how do you say a lot of, uh, they call it, there's a website I should go predators and editors, but there's a lot of predators out there because everyone has a book they want to publish, but it's really hard to get published traditionally. So a lot of people are looking at self-publishing and I think over time it's gotten more respect. It's also a double-edged sword, though. I think in the just in the U.S., a okay. million books are self-published every year. Okay. So if you like, I think over time it's really having quality over quantity because there's also people that are like churning out books every month. But um, but basically this was sort of like a step-by-step guide because when I was doing it, it was hard to figure out what was right, what wasn't right, and I wasted a lot of money hiring different people and trying to figure out how do I do this properly? Because in a way it's almost like a house where you're getting a bunch of contractors. Like you don't know like who you're supposed to get and stuff like that. Right. So it's all, it's a beginner's book for people that are interested. And there's also so many different ways. Like it, you don't have to really do a book anymore. Right? On Wattpad you can do like serials. You can do like one chapter a day or whatever. Mm-hmm. And there's a Chanillos. So there's all these different ways of publishing, but it's just to help people get their voices out. Um, and you know, for, for some people it's like a dream to, you know, get a book out there, but it's like, but I think the, well, what are the odds for getting the agent? It's like one in 10,000. And like, you know, it's really bad wow. <laughs> because they have to read through so much stuff. And also they want something that sells. So what you're writing might not necessarily sell. They're not going to take your manuscript. Right. And you spent maybe five years on this, right. It's just frustrating. So I thought, you know, write a guide to help other people. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And it's, and I I would imagine you had mentioned that for your book, you had done the, the Kickstarter campaign. Yeah. How how did you, how did you find that? Like, was that? I actually ran three campaigns. Uh, Well, like that was one, the Trump book was another, and I did a cookbook as well. Okay. Um, I think I was most successful with the Trump book because it was the first one. And also with the first one, your friends and family will help you out. Right. And I'm just saying your second and third one, they're like, another one? We're not giving you another 10 bucks. Yeah, just yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but it's uh, I think it's gone harder and harder because I think you're sort of also up against other things, right? Like there's video games on Kickstarters. DC Comics is on Kickstarter. Yeah. Like, you know, where people are going to spend their money. And they're also, you know, GoFundMes are getting more popular. So it's... And that's it's, different it's than... Not- that's different than Kickstarter, right? The GoFundMe. It's That's effectively yeah, just that give us money usually, for something. Yeah, that one's more for people that have need, you know, like people that, I don't know, they have cancer or whatever. Mm. Or that lady in San Francisco that got hit by a guy for no reason. I think they had a Kickstarter for her. Um, Am I ignorant if I don't know what that is? Is that recent? I, I Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. In San Francisco, there's been a lot of attacks on the elderly. Um, so she was just standing there waiting across the street. And this guy just came up and just, I think, punched her in the face. But she was like 75, I think. 
she actually grabbed for some reason there was a piece of a stick nearby and she beat the shit out of him good and i think he was in his 40s and the ambulance came and took what him the away fuck was this like for tiktok like this is the new planking people just running up beating up old people this uh seniors yeah. seniors i apologize elderly <laughs> i think the worst one i saw on twitter someone posted the video was um a lady standing at a bus station and next to her was a young Asian. So they're both Asian. She's like 80. And I think the guy was like in his twenties and some random man came up with a knife and the young guy ran. But of course, the old lady didn't see, she had her little shopping cart. And she got stabbed a couple of times and you're just like, I don't know. What, like there's been a lot of hate crime towards Asians lately. I think the whole COVID thing in a way is their excuse, right? I think people are just angry in general and they just need something to take it out on. And unfortunately, Elderly people are easy prey, right? So, and are they targeting elderly Asian people or just elderly people in general? I think it's elderly Asian people. That's so f- yeah. okay. That's so messed up. That's so messed up. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't know that that was happening. As soon oh. as you said, like, oh yeah, people are doing a lot. I'm like, it almost feels like <laughs> the new eating Tide Pods. It's just like oh, something. God. Oh, there's just this trend. Oh, now, now all the videos are running up and punching the elderly. You know, and it's like, yeah. why? I I don't know. People yeah. are animals animals well we are animals <laughs> but yeah i think in canada though it hasn't been as bad as in the states i think maybe the worst is maybe vancouver where i think i've been reading more about anti-asian violence but in the u.s particularly in san francisco and new york it's pretty bad like i'd be afraid to go outside and you think like san fran is particularly progressive for the most part yeah like it's very hipster and yeah. the whole west coast of of the states is usually pretty pretty progressive but it's like, and then again, I thought Canada was progressive, you know, you're here in <laughs> Vancouver. It's like, what? I, I'll be honest with you. I, I'm not the kind of person, like I'm, I'm a white male. So have I said offensive things in my time? Of course I have for the laugh, not for belief purposes for the laugh. And again, we're talking young teenage stuff, but I was always under the, like my thoughts were to me idea of being prejudiced as stuff is so ridiculous that you could actually be prejudiced against another person just from where they're from or what, what gender or what have you that I'm like, to me, like the, the, the laughable thing was, and again, and this is not justifying, but just my position at the time as a young male, when I saw it for real, the first times I was like, this is crazy. Like this, this is Canada, right? This is not 19. What are you doing? Like, what is wrong with you? How could you possibly say anything like that? I remember when I started stand up comedy, right? And I used to think like, oh, there's, this is not the way it is. Not a lot of people like that. This must be the rare case. Where are you from that you're like this? Like, I remember when I started doing stand up comedy and I would venture into like little small towns to do these one nighter shows where we'd be in a bar, or whatever. Some of the things that came out of people's mouths yeah. just conversationally, I was like, you know, I'm like, okay, you know, just get, get me out of this conversation. Just, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'd go like, I'm 30 minutes away from the nation's capital. Like, I can't believe that this is the way people still think so close. I don't know. I'm, I, I find that on a regular basis, I am continually surprised by like, I look at myself as ignorant. And then when I see people, I'm like, I, I don't know how it's possible. Well, I think it depends on who you hang out with and the culture that you live in, right? If it's a very inclusive you know, it's a small world, mm-hmm. then, you know, you're going to see other things as threats or whatever. They're seen as differently. I remember going to Buffalo cross-border shopping with mm-hmm. my mom and her friends, and they were speaking Chinese. And then it just happened, this Caucasian man dropped his tray, 
And at that time, at that same moment, they were laughing at something else. But he walked over and he screamed at them. He's like, you're laughing at me. And they're like, what? They didn't even know what happened. Yeah. But they were just accused of, you know, whatever. Have you ever seen the musical Avenue Q? No, but I know what it is. I know what it is. I just haven't seen it. I'd love to. So they have this song called Everyone's a Little Bit Racist. Okay. And it's like, you know, and they sing about it, right? And it's true. I mean, I think when people see someone being a little bit different, you know, they say, oh, they're so different, whatever. But I mean, we're all part of the human race. Honestly, I don't think we're that different. And when I took biology at University of Orlando, I remember the teacher saying, because people were asking her about races and stuff. She's like, our DNA is the same. (laughs) So, you know, don't tell me you guys are like, you know, another alien species or whatever. There's so many things that just boil or or distill down to like just simple psychology. You know what I mean? Like it's like my theory on whenever someone's, you know, just outwardly racist towards somebody, you know, in public in an argument or something, I'm like, that's just racism to me is just laziness. In that moment, they wanted to hurt you, and the easiest thing that they could grab was race. If that doesn't work, maybe it's your maybe it's your sex, and if it's that's not it, maybe it's your size or you're fat or whatever. It's like to me, I'm like, it's not even about. I'm like, get to know me. <laughs> I could give you a lot of things that you could hurt me with, way better than that. But but you're right. Like there's, I don't see a, a ton of of. I don't even know who's looking for them. The, the amount of times that we move people into different boxes to suit whatever argument or mental state that we're in, you know what I mean? Now we're both Canadians, but then, you know, now it's, now it's now you're male and I'm female or, you know, you're white and I'm black or over here, we're both, you know, uh, Democrats or whatever. Like the amount of moving people around to fit whatever argument, like now we're on the same side because we're this, it's, it's crazy to me. But at the end of the day, like we all have the same feelings, right? There's only four, four feelings, happy, mad, sad, and afraid. You know, and, and to think that everyone else is having these, these yes, different experiences, but like, there's more that connects us than, than divides us. And then circling back to that orange monkey, he, he was really good at dividing people. Like even in the end, the way he kept calling it, the China virus, just continuing to create segregation. Like I, it was disgusting. It was disgusting to see like, and all, all kidding about the guy aside, you're just like, how, how does anyone support that level of just, I think they see one aspect of him Mm -hmm. and, you know, they admire one thing and then they just try to ignore the rest. I don't know. People are funny that way. Like, you know, they, they believe what they want to believe really at the end of the day. So, and I feel kind of sad thinking in a way about my dad. I remember one time he told me, you'll never be seen as Canadian because people look at you and they're going to be like, where are you from? You're from China. Although I grew up here, I was born here, but, uh, gosh, sometimes it depends on the person that's asking a question too, I think. Yeah. It depends who you encounter. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I heard a comic the other day on, on satellite radio who did a joke about how he was talking to someone after a show and they're like, uh, what's your name? And he's like, Ahmed. He's like, Oh, where are you, where are you from? He's like, Oh, I'm from, you know, Ohio or whatever. (laughs) And he's like, no, where are you from originally? He's like, Oh, originally I'm from California. He's like, no, I mean like, what's your, you know, if you're from here, how is your name Ahmed? And he's like, the same way that your name isn't Squanto. It's yeah. I, I hope I'm alive to see you know, the whole thing is that humanity yeah. and society and everything like seems to, to thrive on conflict. So the idea that, that we're going to have this utopia that we live on earth is kind of, I don't know. It's yeah, amb- I get kind of worried too, because I was born here but my family was, you know, originally from China. So sometimes I do worry when I read the news about, 
you know, China's growing a superpower. And I worry about the intern internment camps and stuff like that coming back and whatnot. Although one of my friends like, oh, but you're married to a Caucasian guy. You'll be fine. I was like, well, I don't know if that'll be fine. But hopefully it doesn't come to that point where we're repeating everything from like World War II again. Yep. Right? So. Those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. So yeah, it's, I hope we're beyond that. Unfortunately, you know, again, not to turn this podcast into a Trump podcast, but it kind of like, as much as we thought like, oh, things are getting better. And then, and then he comes out and you see the amount of like hatred and anger and conflict. You're like, oh, it was just, it was just hiding. You know what I mean? Like it still seems to exist within people. Yeah. And I wonder if he, I don't know. Like sometimes I wonder if he's just a show's person. Like, you know, sometimes does he know what he's saying? Like, you know, I like to give people a benefit of a doubt, but sometimes you're like, does he know what he's doing? Mm -hmm. You know, did he do it on purpose or did he do it because, you know, he thought people would go rah, 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 you know? So I, it's hard to say sometimes. Like, he's a know. great distraction from whatever else. Like now, now that Biden's in, like nothing's happening. I got like no idea what's going on. You know, it's just yeah. nice, just nice yeah. and quiet. Like I know we're all getting screwed, but if you could just not rub it in our face and remind us all the time, you know what I mean? Like, I know that's what Hillary is, uh, as, as comedians say, she's a made guy, you know, she's at those Illuminati parties, right? She's, she's doing whatever she needs to be doing. She just, she just wouldn't let us know about it. That's fine. Hide it I from me. I was a little bit, I have to say as a Canadian, I felt a little bit bad when, you know, that whole Trudeau video where he was like the mean girls. No, you know, like I didn't see that. Talk. No. It was like at the G, was it G7 or whatever? Okay. And then he was just kind of laughing about Trump with some other world leaders and someone caught it on video and released it. And they're like, this is just like the mean girls, like where all these mean girls are talking about one person and stuff like that. <laughs> I think he's probably really embarrassed by him. And then that's when Trump got really pissed at Canada. Like, <laughs> that's so funny. Um, I wanted to say, you've got a podcast of your own, the, the Artsy Raven. Yes. How long? <laughs> yes. It seemed apprehensive. <laughs> Um, when did you, when did you start the artsy Raven? Um, I started a few months ago. It's pretty new. Okay. I think we're only up to episode 13 or something like that. It's once a week kind of thing. That's great. Uh, so what was happening was I was getting a lot of requests from authors to review their books and to do interviews, but because my main thing is with rice paper magazine, I can only interview them if they're Asian and 99% of the time they're not. So I was thinking, well, you know, why not? do something else that could help these people. So I thought doing a podcast was easier than writing interviews. It takes a lot out of me to do a lot of transcript work, right? Right. And writing interviews and stuff. So I thought a podcast was easier. And also it's talking is a little bit more natural. And um, I noticed that a lot of people, when they interview authors, they don't do readings, right? So I thought to sort of smash the two together. So usually it's a 20-minute interview and then 10-minute reading. So that way you get to enjoy actually what they wrote. And to hear it from the author and, you know, uh, what they wrote in their own words. So I thought that would be kind of a cool idea. So that's what I'm doing. That's awesome. Um, and I have to say, I'm from a backlog till August at this point. Like, a lot of people want to talk and read. There's a lot of people that have written books out there. And um, I'm sort of open-minded. So it's okay if you self-published or whatever. Because I know a lot of the traditional um probably podcast probably want someone you know traditionally published or whatever it has to be through their agent or pr but whatever i don't really care so that's know, the worst dealing with the pr and agents i'm like let me just talk to the person <laughs> you know what i mean they're like wow and sometimes they're kinda... good and bad 
like the PR person, like, yeah, 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 we'll get you on the show. And then you send them a schedule and then nothing. Yeah. And you're like, okay, I guess it's not happening then. Right. So whatever. That's yeah, that's crazy. And, and you, you had asked, uh, I know that tomorrow, uh, you know, listeners will hear yes, this. They'll get ours. You, yes. We're going to, we're going to do an episode together. And so I'm, yes. I'm, I'm hoping to contribute positively to the, to your okay. podcast. I don't have anything to read. So that's that'll be the okay. thing. I mean, it's about writing and publishing. So whatever. I think you offer a lot of experience about, you know, what you do as a comedian. Cause you're, you're a storyteller. Mm-hmm. Like when you go up and you do a piece, you're telling a story. So a lot of the people that are listening are sort of interested in how do they make their own stories better. So I think it's, you know, I want it to be a useful podcast too, for people to listen to other people. So they're like, oh, okay, that's something I've never thought of before. And I think one of the best interviews I did was with an improv person actually uh, in San Francisco. And it was, he had just released a book like with tips, like on how to tell a story. Okay. He calls himself the master storyteller and he runs an event called the moth which is a competitive storytelling event. You have five minutes to tell a story and you're pitted against, I don't know how many people and you're judged for it. And at the end, you know, the best story wins or whatever, but I've been too scared to actually uh, compete in that. Oh, really? Um, it sounds, I don't know. So someone told me, so what happens is you show up for this and you have your five minutes ready, but it's like the lottery. So you might not get picked, but, uh, but you're prepared to like tell your five minutes and, and it's all virtual now too, so you don't have to be in San Francisco. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, no, that's great. Do you remember the name of the the gentleman for the interview? Just uh, to point the uh, the the listeners to that episode. Like, would you say that's a good starting episode for the Artsy Raven? Yeah, that's a great episode. Um, you know what? I forgot his last name. <laughs> oh no worries, no worries. Let me look it up. Um, Going to look here. I'm just crossing off my list of my questions here. I very rarely write so many questions, but I'm like, I want to make sure that I actually am covering intelligent. Corey episode. Rosen. Corey Rosen. Yeah. C O R E Y R O S E N. He's episode seven. Gesundheit. type. That's awesome. I'll, I'll check it out myself. That sounds great. Um, and I'm just going to look here. Uh, I think that's all. I think that's a lot of the questions there. Um, you've told us about some of the stuff that you're working on. Is there any, uh, any big projects? that are coming out from dark helix. Obviously belief is the most recent thing that's come out. Yes. And I, I do recommend that anyone who has a chance to take a look at it. Um, they can get it at, at, uh, Indigo. Uh, on Amazon. On Amazon. Small for Indigo. Oh, okay. Do you have to pay to get in? That's maybe that's some yeah, of the questions I should have asked on a bookshelf is rented. So really, when you look, look at it, actually, only a few publishers are there because they rented out all the spaces. So, yeah. Really? Okay. So it's not just like a bookstore is like, hey, we'd like to cover, you know, they don't have like relationships where it's just like, okay, what's your new stuff? We'll, we'll take this amount of copies. or It's like you, they, the book companies pay to be on the shelves. Yes. Wow. Yeah. I mean, for the smaller bookstores, you can probably build a relationship but for a lot of the big ones. Yeah, I know, like the Costco's, Walmart's, it's all already like done, done deals. So. Wow. I just assumed um, that it was so like, go, goes based on trends. So like with something like Costco, I just assumed that they would rely heavily on the publishers to be like, this is one that's going to sell. So you may as well grab that. Well, yeah, but they only talk to the big publishers. I'm too small potatoes. I mean, every year my husband's like, you should just shut down that damn thing. You know, it's <laughs> really? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> because like. Oh my gosh, we never have enough to pay the account. Like it's really tough. The margins are so thin, mm-hmm. and um, book marketing is you know tough too. So 
it's just a lot of noise out there. Yeah. And yeah. being a small publisher, it's really hard to break even. So, so I mean, really, I really when I say I'm not doing it for the money, it's totally true. <laughs> like some of the books I'm publishing, they're like third print because the first two publishers went out of business and they just shut down. Right? Oh wow! So a lot of the small presses only have like one or two people and. They're just doing it themselves. So. What about uh, Amazon? So you said you guys are on Amazon. I, I knew somebody who published a book on Amazon yes. a few years ago, but this is my understanding and I'm fairly certain I don't know. So I'd, I'd love, I'd love some, some clarification is I think that they had it so that like they send the manuscript or whatever, it's like uploaded to Amazon. And then if someone yep. buys it, Amazon prints it and then, and then mails it yes. or whatever. Yeah, so it's like a print-on-demand service, okay. which has totally changed a lot of uh, publishers. Because before, you would, if you wanted print books, you have to order a thousand copies and keep it in the closet or whatever. Right. But with Amazon, if you need it, you just order it; they'll just print it, so you don't have to like, you know, keep too many books around. That's crazy, um, and that must be like it's literally if you need one, they will print one and then send it. Yeah, and I have to say, as much as people hate Amazon, they've been amazing to like sell publishers and stuff and small presses because. For one thing, they don't charge like for other distributors. If you upload a manuscript, you have to pay 50 US right off the bat. And every wow. time you make a change, you pay another 20 dollars US. And every time you want, like, there's a lot of different things you pay for, but Amazon doesn't charge. So if you make a mistake, take it down, put it back up. You know, for the small people, Amazon's been great. Yeah. And um, I know now they have audiobooks and stuff like that, but I have not ventured into that into that why not it's a lot of time wouldn't that well yeah you yeah. got to read the book yeah you have to read the book you know do the sound editing and also they have a certain standard of um quality for the file and stuff like that okay so, i know actually someone told me they bought a book and it was they think it was read by a bot she was like it just didn't have any emotion in it and i was like that is possible i've had some that were read were read like i've listened to a few of them i think amazon owns audible if i'm not mistaken yeah they do and uh i've listened to some on audible where the the, the reader was great um and then yeah. i've listened to some where it was like so yeah, boring. Yeah, if you want extra work as a voice actor, well, I don't know if they're still open. They were auditioning people. You can like go to Audible and offer your, your services to people. <laughs> people are like, you have a great voice to, to, to talk, Josh. But the thing is when I'm reading out loud, I will, I I'm faster, um, than I am. Uh, like I can, I can read <laughs> faster than my mouth can keep up. So then all of a sudden my mouth will just jump ahead five words. <laughs> I have to go back and reread the sentence or, or I've read. Yeah. I, I don't think I'd ever be able to do that because I'm just not good enough at staying <laughs> focused at the reading out loud. But well, anyhow, my goal every year is just just make enough to pay the account. That's yeah. What I want. Pay the account. But um, but at the same time, I know some of my writer friends are like, "This is distracting you from your writing," and it's true because I do all these other things. And then I was like, "Oh, well, I haven't written anything today." So it's, but it's always, for me, writing has always been a struggle to sort of just focus, to have the time to sit down and focus and um, just do it. Right. It takes a long time to write something too. So I get impatient and then I was like, oh, maybe I should make some graphics for belief. And, you know, off I go. And, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and like tomorrow I'll be, oh yes, tomorrow we're having our big book launch, virtual book launch where I was already warning my son. I was like, okay, we're going to clear this table. You're going to leave me alone for two hours. And, um. We're going to, I'm making a three-tiered cake and cupcakes and stuff like that. If you were in Toronto, I would have dropped them off with you. But oh, I, I would have loved that. I would have loved that. I mail it, but I looked into mailing cakes and cupcakes. No, like, no, no, don't, don't. But send me a picture. When you're done, I would love to yeah, see the, yeah. the pictures yeah. of that. Yeah, so I'm preparing for that. So, um, 
and it'll be about a dozen of the writers will be on. So it's around seven thirty tomorrow. If you can make it, you could listen to them read their pieces. Okay. And I'll be reading. I'll be introducing them. And oh yeah, I dragged Chris into it too, so he'll be giving an introduction. Yeah, absolutely. Send me the, the send me the link. Thing. I'd love to. I'd love to be a part. I like I said. I I'm. I'm, I was, I was nervous when I first got asked. I'm, I'm very, very pleasantly surprised that I was able to, you know, uh, first off, I'm not a big reader. So reading a book cover to cover, that was something. And I'm glad I was interested in the content. I, I did enjoy it. I'm glad I read it. I'm glad that we got a chance to, to, to meet and connect and learn more about you. Radioactive sandwiches will be banging around in my head for a very long time. I love that so much. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to our conversation tomorrow. Yes. So See, we will talk again tomorrow. So yeah, onesies, listen up for uh, artsy Raven, uh, check out if you're waiting until that episode launches, uh, check out the, uh, Corey Rosen episode number seven, uh, master storyteller from San Francisco. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, this was, this was JF Gerard, uh, president of dark helix publishing editor at rice paper magazine. Um, and check out the book belief. Thank you so much for, for, for chatting with me. I, uh, I really enjoyed this. I look forward to, to, to tomorrow's chat too. Yeah.